It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From the territories to Titan Towers to TNA and all points in between, he's seen and done it all. And now he's here to share the real story behind wrestling's biggest moments, controversies, and characters. The MLW Radio Network presents Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Something to Wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard. Throw us a follow on Twitter. It's at Pritchard Show. Let's catch up, Bruce. Uh, we had a big episode last week about Brawl for All. Um, what was your, uh, did you have a chance to listen to the show or see any feedback? What's your overall take now that we're a week removed from our Brawl for All show? Well, I, I think everybody enjoyed it. I hope, you know, there were, there were a couple questions on Twitter. People ask about the state athletic commissions and how we got around that guys. I don't remember. I remember the issue. I, I believe that we actually did have to have state athletic commissions that regulated boxing, uh, come in and do whatever they did, um, in the places where we had commissions. But, um, for the most part, I think most of the feedback was pretty positive this week and I greatly appreciate it. So it's, uh, We'll hope to keep that going this week with our steroids. Well, uh, I don't know that it's all positive last week. We, we have to mention, uh, I guess, someone who I thought was my You friend. had somebody say something negative about the show? Well, here's the deal. As you know, and I know this really irks you, I am a longtime subscriber to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and I get all of my wrestling news uh, from Dave Meltzer and Mike Johnson in that order. Uh, I've subscribed to Dave's work since 1997. Uh, it is now 2016. So that's 19 years of reading his stuff there. Um, and a few years ago, I befriended Bruce Mitchell, who I read a lot of back when I was a Torch subscriber through the paper newsletter. I still subscribe online to the Torch, uh, and I'm, I do that mostly for Bruce Mitchell. So whenever I'm in Charlotte for the NWA Legends Fan Fest, uh, Bruce Mitchell and I are attached at the hip, man. We We hang out and talk about the good old days a lot and I enjoy his take and I find him to be very entertaining. He, however, uh, told Dave Meltzer that our show was appalling and, um, then Dave appalling. appalling. And then Dave Meltzer posted that 
Uh, Bruce Mitchell told me not to listen to that podcast. It was appalling. I always listen to what Bruce says. So Bruce is listening right now because even though he's appalled, he's still listening, I'm sure, because he wants to hear what we're going to say about him or he listens to every show. I don't know. Uh, but I know that you hate all things dirt sheet. And I thought, you know what? We, I never really thought we were going to address this, but I know you've got some, uh, you'd probably like to take a few minutes here to crap on all things Meltzer or Keller or James Caldwell, uh, or anybody else, including my good friend, Bruce Mitchell, cause he's got no problem saying that you're full of shit and that, uh, the Montreal episode was appalling and that you're not being honest Etc. I guess he was in the room. I don't know. Well, that's what I was just going to ask. I mean, so he he was there, so he knows for sure. Is that is that what he's saying? I guess you know the. Thing- I, I don't look. I you know here's the deal, man. I don't. I haven't read. Uh, I don't think I've ever gone. If Melter has a uh, website, I don't think I've ever gone there. I've talked to Dave in the past. I used to subscribe to Dave's dirt sheet way, way many, many years ago. The issue I have with the wrestling media, if you will, is that they have no credibility. They will report rumors or just make shit up as fact. And then when it doesn't happen there, well, they'll say, Oh, well they changed their plans. When the people that are in the know that are actually doing it are sitting there going, no, that never was a plan. No, not really. They changed their, they changed their mind. Um, they say I'm, they said I, I lied. What did, what did I lie about? And what do they have to back up anything saying that I was a liar? Um, they've, they've never worked for a wrestling promotion except for the short time that Meltzer uh, work for the WWF. Wait, 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 wait. Meltzer what? was on WWF payroll. Oh yeah. Oh wait. yeah. Back in the day he was on WWF payroll and they paid him to, to give them news on other promotions and to speak favorably of them and in his little newsletter and stuff. Um, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you, why call, do I do what? Well, you said his little newsletter, you try to his diminish Man, that's 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 unfair. The dude. Why is that unfair? Well, because you're saying little newsletter in a way to, you know. I'm saying it about a guy who disputes a public company, uh, making a report that a hundred thousand people are, are in Texas Stadium, and then comes out and states a fact, a fact according to him, that they really only did sixty thousand people in Texas Stadium. Then it was oh well, it might have been seventy three thousand. Well, oh no, no, it could have been this, it could have been that. When he has zero to base it on, and these guys all feed off of each other, and and it's funny because one will say, "Well, we read this in so and so's newsletter," and then the other one will quote, "Well, I read this in so and so's dirt sheet, and I read this," and none of them. The, the people that feed them the information are usually disgruntled guys that are just trying to work them and get their own stories and their own uh, spin on things out there. So if they're nice to them and they talk to them, then they must be good guys. Um, they've, they've never done anything. They've never made a positive contribution to the business, in my opinion. So let's talk about that. Um, I do want to address some of the stuff that Mitchell says you lied about. Uh, or just weren't forthcoming about. Um, 
He says, uh, Brett was a hero that Monday night. He had no reason not to go to Nitro after what happened, except all the reasons VKM already knew. The back and forth between Brett was also key. HBK told Brett, uh, thanks for doing the job, but I'll never do one for you. Montreal was a key market for Brett, obviously, and that was way more important back then. He didn't want to lose to his bitter rival in that one city. He had creative, uh, creative control in his contract that gave him the legal right to refuse finishes. And I really thought this was insightful from Bruce. For some reason, folks think wrestlers should live up to their contracts with Vince, but not always vice versa. Uh, I thought that was an interesting take. And he says most of, uh, if not all of this, came out in legal documents afterwards. Did But I asked you the other day, did Brett sue? And you said no. So what legal documents is, is Bruce talking about there? No, you'd have to ask uh, your friend. But... This is this is coming from someone who has never had the responsibility of making calls for a multi-million dollar company. This is coming from someone who's probably never orchestrated a contract or someone who has actually had to live by a contract and had to make decisions that affect not just his own whether or not he's going to make his deadline this week, but actually affect hundreds, thousands of people. That's not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of people. And the the fact of the matter is, is he does have his timeline screwed up because we did go to Brett earlier in the week, and it started before Sean made the comment about, I'm not going to do the job for you. But it is bigger than that. And like you say, the he contradicts himself. We're saying it's okay for Brett to refuse to do a job, but it's not okay for Vince to make sure that his company doesn't get screwed over. Um, well, he, he had creative control negotiated, and you're saying you don't believe that. I'm saying that Brett interpreted his contract one way, and Vince interpreted his contract another way. And I'm also saying that regardless of anything, at the end of the day, Vince McMahon is there to make sure that his company is taken care of and is going to do whatever it takes. Uh, Bruce goes on to say, uh, also, Brett had scratch marks on his face coming out of the office in the documentary. It wasn't VKM took a shot for the boys. They fought, and Brett knocked him out, and then came the spin afterwards. You were in the room. I was in the room. Bullshit. I'm sorry. And where was Bruce Mitchell uh, during this melee? Greensboro, North Carolina. Exactly. So I rest my case. I, I, I won't even defend against something like that. Coming from a jack-off that's sitting in Greensboro, North Carolina, that's probably never been in a fight in his entire life. And what scratch marks did Brett have on his face? Did he have a pimple that he had to scratch off? No. The fight was one punch. Vince went down. Everybody got in between them. Sorry that that is not as colorful for everybody to talk about their hero, Um, but that's all that happened, guys. That's it. Over the um, over the weekend, you and I had a conversation that really I had never considered before. Um, we were talking about you know the way all of this happens, you know, with these newsletter guys, and you had an opinion that I'd never heard anybody say before. Are you willing to share that? It's not an opinion; it's a fact. 
Well, go ahead and do it because uh, no. The fact is, is that these dirt sheet riders, these guys that like Bruce Mitchell, like uh, whoever your other guys are, Mike Johnson, Meltzer, Wade Keller, whoever they are, and I hate even saying their names, but they have their sources. Now they won't reveal their sources. Okay, but they have their sources that talk to them and their sources are usually guys that are talent that are giving them information, whether they're disgruntled, but they're feeding them information as fact. Working. The Caldwell's and the Mitchell's and the Keller's and the Meltzer's of the world, working them to just put them over. You know, it's, it's funny if you look at the guys that are heralded as these, these great, great wrestlers, I guarantee you they're probably the ones that are feeding information. Well, it's funny, the guys that draw the most money and, and do the best ratings are the worst wrestlers and the worst people in the world, according to them. You, um, I believe the phrase you used were, was... The biggest mark of them all. These guys are the biggest mark of them all because the boys are working them for information to spin their story. That's right. Well, I can never say it the same way twice. I'm sorry. No, I'm not mad at it. I, I just never really considered that, and it wasn't something that I had ever thought about. Uh, I do. I'm going to continue to subscribe to the observer in the torch and I'm still going to continue to read Meltzer stuff and quote it to you and piss you off. And I only talk I'm to, I'm sure you will. I only talk and to, Hey, Br- and you know what? Dave's a nice guy, but I, I completely disagree with him on pretty much everything. Now, are you saying that there's a reason that Dave Meltzer has a Ric Flair award? You said it. I won't, I won't sit here and let you disparage the good goddamn name of Ric Flair any longer. <laughs> He's the greatest wrestler that ever lived. And, uh, I used to have a good friend named Bruce Mitchell, but now hearing this, cause I'm sure he's listening very appalled and angry. Uh, he probably won't speak to me again until next August in Charlotte. Well, hopefully he won't speak of me again ever. That would be really nice, but don't know. Okay. So, Bruce, what happened when Vince went on trial for steroids in 94? I've got a lot of facts here I want to spit out at you, but do you want to kind of set the tone or set the stage for us? Was the trial of Vince McMahon and the trial of Titan Sports, the parent company of the WWF at the time, when they were indicted by the United States federal government for distribution of uh, steroids, which were regulated by the FDA back then. And and that's kind of the gist of it. So let's kind of catch everybody up on the backstory. Uh, First of all, to touch on what you said, I was surprised this one and maybe disappointed because I didn't know a lot of this. I don't do any research for the show. I just, as Ric Flair likes to say, call it in the ring, kid. Uh, but with this one, I just didn't know enough. So I had to do some nerd research and, uh, wow, I learned a lot. Uh, but let's catch everybody up now as kind of what happened before the trial. Uh, Dr. Zahorian had his trial in 1991. He was a doctor for the state athletic commission in Pennsylvania from 1977 to 1989. He was sentenced and got three years Uh, And now, a few years later, this is 1994, where we're in when we're covering this, Uh, McMahon uh, faces six counts. They eventually get it cut down to three. 
uh, really quick, it becomes conspiracy, possession, and intent to distribute. That's what they're trying to push for. Uh, and this is all, you know, happening in April of 1994. Um, and eventually they start to dismiss some stuff in uh, May of 94. So it really starts as a bigger case than what it winds up being. But I guess one of the first things I saw very early uh, when I was doing my research is that it's, it's pretty open and admitted here that Vince McMahon took steroids. And that's really the first time it's been made public as far as I know at that point. Um, did you think that that had any sort of damage to the company to, for that to be out there that kind of the captain of the ship is taking steroids or was it a big hush hush thing as far? I, I know not amongst the boys, but I mean, as far as just public perception, I don't think so. I think that at the time steroids were prescribed by doctors and they weren't the illegal banned substance that they later became. And Vince had his prescribed by a doctor and you know, was was taking them to look bigger, better, and, and be faster and stronger. And I think that if you were to ask most physicians, to be honest, they would tell you that steroids used correctly are one of the greatest drugs known to mankind because they help athletes repair a lot faster. Now, to use them as bodybuilders do to get bigger and enhance their look cosmetically, well, okay, you know, the jury's still out on that and uh, probably not something that a physician would endorse. So just to catch everybody up, when, when he's talking about, when Bruce mentioned that steroids weren't always illegal, uh, that changed in 1990. Uh, they passed um, uh, a bill to make it a Controlled Substance Act in the Anabol- Anabolic Steroids Control Act of 1990. Uh, so it's a Schedule Three drug at that time, and previously it was not illegal. And they're alleging these crimes happened from 1985 to 1991. And specifically, they named two dates where they know for sure that deliveries happened uh, to Vince for Hogan uh, or vice versa. Uh, no, I guess it is to Vince uh, for Hogan. April 13th, 1989, which is about 10 days after WrestleMania five, And then again in October of 89, uh, and that is actually all tied to Zahorian because Zahorian is cut off from the WWF uh, events the day after Christmas, 1989. Uh, once word comes down at, uh, I guess, like a fundraiser of some sort, that Zahorian's going to be investigated. Linda and Vince are made aware, and they uh, get to scrambling, or at least that's what they would have you believe. But let's get back to 1994 for a minute. Uh, the trial is going down in July. It's officially starting then. The opening statements and stuff are done. It's the day after the 4th of July, 1994. Uh, what's going on, you know, with you guys kind of behind the scenes as you prepare for this big trial? Well, I'll tell you the difficult part for us working with the talent, being in creative, was that there was an official, unofficial hiring freeze for us. Vince didn't want to go out and bring any new talent into the company and put them under contract when he couldn't look somebody in the eye and and guarantee them that he was going to be there. And that was, you know, we, we were handcuffed a little bit because we couldn't go out. We couldn't recruit new talent. We really couldn't bring anybody in. We were frankly trying to hold on to the talent that we did have. And there was just a lot of extenuating circumstances 
there was a lot of money being spent on the defense and on the trial, and it, it was uh, some difficult times doing business. So let's mention, too, it's important as a frame of reference, because I know a lot of times people like to just think that nothing really was happening in WCW at that time. But this is a different time. Uh, this trial is starting on July 5th, 1994. And on July 17th, WCW would have their absolute biggest pay-per-view ever at the time, which is Bash at the Beach in Orlando. Mr. T was there. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal is there. But more importantly, it's the first pay-per-view match of Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. So Hulk Hogan's obviously going to be a very big part of this trial. And it, that pay-per-view literally happens 12 days after the trial starts. So you just kind of have an idea of what's going on in the wrestling landscape at the time. Uh, and here's the deal. I think a lot of people miss, um, Vince was facing up to 11 years in prison. Uh, and they know that Zahorian got three years and up to $1.5 million in fines. Bruce, how significant would a $1.5 million fine have been to Titan at the time? Well, considering that they probably spent upwards of $6 million on the defense. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're fighting for your life and you're fighting for justice, I guess, you know, really, because they didn't have anything. They being the government, it was a witch hunt. And I'm, I'm giving you my opinion here, folks. Um, now you it say was a witch a, hunt. It's a it, witch hunt was, because steroids had just become illegal or it was a witch hunt uh, because they didn't like wrestling or w what makes you say witch hunt before you continue? It was a witch hunt in the way that they were going about gathering, if you want to call it evidence, uh, gathering information. They were interviewing anybody and everybody that would talk to them. And if anybody had an ax to grind with Vince McMahon, those were the guys that they were going after. They were using people like Geraldo Rivera to to gather their information and really? go out and find people that had an ax to grind people like Donahue that would enable them to get their message out to the masses, the federal government's message out to the masses that the WWF was this horrible, filthy, dirty company led by an evil emperor and Vince McMahon, who was a drug dealing insisted all of his wrestlers uh, take these steroids and was supplying them and selling them to them you know, it was it was pretty nasty the way that the government went about it. And, you know, it's just not true. So let me ask you a question. You mentioned Donahue and, and Geraldo there. I mean, you don't believe those guys were just, you know, scumbags trying to, you know, sensationalize whatever TV ratings they could. You think that the federal government actually put them up to covering this? 100%. Really? Yes. That's not... That's not... There, there, was, there was evidence... Um, that one of those people, I'm not going to, I won't say their name, but, uh, that one of those people actually had footage of the inside of Vince's house where they sent in repairmen essentially undercover that shot video of the inside of Vince's house that the government had. Did that guy and also? That, and that one of those television shows had. The only way that they, you know, and you, once all that was subpoenaed and, uh, everybody had it. it you know it's just crazy it, it was it was crazy if you were to make a movie about it most people wouldn't believe the links that the united states government went to to come after us and and just um and what they did so do you think um that he found more 
in Vince's house or in Al Capone's vaults? <laughs> hey, so I, I, I'm curious, and this is a personal question, but um, if he's shoveling out $6 million for a defense and possibly facing prison time, I assume pay cuts went down. Like everybody's getting pay cuts. Did that happen? About the times that the pay cuts went down, yeah. So what is in that, that in that time frame? Give me an idea of what that looks like. You're in the office. You get a call. Hey, pal, <laughs> come to my office. Essentially, yeah. You know, and the the crazy thing about it was was that the people that were in the wrestling business were the ones that took the big hits because. You know, we understood when business is good, you make money. When business is bad, you don't make money and that corporate people don't. There were people in the office, um, officers in, in the in the company who who quit because they couldn't handle having on their resume that they worked for a convicted felon. And there, there were some crazy things going on, and this was happening on a daily basis. Some, you know, some shoe was dropping every time you turned a corner. Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transform your photos into a one of a kind hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started, and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, you know, it was, it was, it was tough because at the same time we have live events running every night, right. <laughs> we've got television to produce and business must go on. And that was probably Vince's biggest mantra was that the show must go on and it'll go on with him or without him. Are you guys having conversations like when they're doing, you know, they spent a long time selecting the jury, um, are you guys having conversations about those little minute details of the trial or not so much in the office? No, no. I mean, me personally with Vince, no, we, we didn't, we, we got broad strokes and you know, there, there were situations when the government would, would try and they had, they had people in the government that would sit outside of employees homes. Okay and wait and, and speak to their wives and, wow. and spouses 
while waiting for them to come home. And then when they would come home, pull up into their driveway, you would have these uh, federal prosecutors or whatever the hell they were flash their badges and, and come in and say, can we speak to you now? You know, getting home 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night after working all day long in, in a pretty tense environment, and then you come home to this. And having guys sit outside in front of your house waiting for you to come home to question you. So it wasn't a wasn't the fun place right. <laughs> to be at the time. Um, so let me ask, you know, when we're talking about uh, WCW at the time, I'm kind of curious. Um, Hogan's all over it. And in my head, it seems like that could work against the WWF at the time. Maybe if he was out of the spotlight, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But he's all over TV, and they're doing their first big media push with him. Did you think it was a mistake for WCW knowing this trial was coming down to push him? Did you guys, were you nervous about him being more in the limelight? And maybe when he was on the stage, maybe trying to hurt the competition or maybe freestyle the truth? Or just what was your take on Hogan kind of being everywhere at the time and then what that maybe meant for you guys? Real, really and truly, man, Hogan meant nothing to us. Um, you didn't think he could hurt as far you or as, as far as what he was doing at WCW and what was going on down there, that was the furthest thing from our mind. Now, what the government thought they might have had with Hulk Hogan, we didn't know. We had no idea. We we were hoping that he would tell the truth, which he which he did. Little accidental thing here that I don't think you know just gives you context too. Is it? This is a really awful thing to say. Is it almost a blessing in disguise? The OJ trial is going on during this one. God this, bless OJ Simpson. Yes. I mean, it would have been a, doubt, a yes. much bigger deal. You know, this because I think everybody remembers that was June of '94. Well, this trial is starting you know, less than a month after that happened. So everybody's OJ obsessed. This is not nearly at the forefront that maybe it could have been. OJ Simpson knocked Vince off the front page of the, of the papers in New York. Yes. So, so uh, that, that was, you know, horrible, horrible tragedy. <laughs> but at the same time, it was like, God, thank God they've got something else to focus on. So let's talk about, uh, some folks who are around at the time. Um, but before we do, there, there is a little tidbit that was eventually thrown out that I'm curious if you heard about and how funny you thought maybe it was the government alleged that the, uh, Titan towers building was purchased with drug money. <laughs> how, how crazy is that? And, uh, do you remember any of that being even a conversation? No, that's just silly. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me for the government to make that claim, but no, that's just silly. So Anita Scales um, is a person who's going to be prominent in this. Uh, can you kind of catch everybody up as to who she was and what her role was with the company? Anita Scales was the person that basically was the one that made sure that we were compliant with athletic commissions across the country and dealt with them and licensing and what have you. So she had heard that Dr. Zahorian was, quote, unquote, bad news and a real sleazy guy. And wanted to get rid of him, but Zahorian protested and pushed back. So she approached Pat, uh, Pat Patterson, and he said the boys wanted Zahorian. And uh, it's rumored that Strongbow told her uh, Zahorian has to be hired because the boys want their candies. 
she says on the trial she didn't know what that meant. She didn't know it was steroids, but she knew it wasn't Hershey's Kisses. Uh, and then when she went to Linda McMahon, who was number two, of course, uh, behind Vince, uh, Linda listened to her complaint and then says, do what Pat tells you. But then eventually the whole casual bump in over here in a conversation at a fundraiser, uh, they learn, the McMahons learn that, wait a minute, Zahorian may be about to be in trouble. Uh, so they get rid of him the day after Christmas in 1989. Do you remember? Well, well let, let's be clear, though. Zahorian never worked for the WWF. But he was no longer Zahorian welcome at their events. was an appointed official from the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission. And he was not an employee of the WWF. He was someone that was appointed by the state of Pennsylvania, the State Athletic Commission. Well, I like that you're trying to spin that a little bit. But I'm, not spin- I'm not spinning anything. He was never an employee of WWF, and he worked for the State Athletic Commission. He was a urologist that but yet you guys did could boxing ask events, him. wrestling events, did things for the State Athletic Commission in Pennsylvania. But you were able to ask him to not come. And he didn't. We were able to make that request to the athletic commission. Yes. And at, uh, somewhere along the lines here, it was said that you could kind of pick some law changed and you could pick the doctor. It didn't have to just be whoever. And you guys picked a different one. Uh, but part of the problem no about that. Okay. Well, part of the problem is, um, he did some of this with records and these records are going to come out in the trial. So there'll be testimony where guys talk about, they go and get a brown bag full of uh, steroids that they even quote at one point, which are as, as small or as affordable as $2 and 15 cents a bottle. Uh, but then he starts shipping some stuff by federal express all over the country. Um, Strongbow testifies that, uh, he passed it out like candy and, uh, new wrestlers were told by agents, the doctors here need a cash advance. Now they never said, you know, to go buy steroids, but when you push those two sentences together, it certainly feels like that steroids. Do you remember hearing that ever, or there ever being a discussion amongst the boys about advances in order to get steroids? No, but, uh, you know, again, that's, I don't doubt that those conversations took place, but did I ever hear them? No. So somewhere along the line here, when you know, I know that we well, hang on, I know this is hard to believe, but you didn't take steroids I'm going on record right now. I, I, I did not take steroids. You've I know been. it's hard to believe folks. You look at this physique and that beautiful white tailored suit by God. Let me ask not you. built with steroids. Is that Pizza the and beer? Yes, but steroids. No, is that the only drug you didn't try? Hmm. We'll move on. So, uh, Pat Patterson, uh, who, who we talked about a minute ago, uh, kind of defending Zahorian now is the guy who helps push Zahorian out the door and is a little nervous about phone taps. And I found this interesting. He says, quote, call me from a payphone to avoid police knowing. And, uh, he wanted Zahorian to destroy the records of the Titan Zahorian relationship. Do you know? Uh, did you and Pat ever talk about this ever? I mean, it came out in, in the trial, so it's not like it's not public record now. Did y'all ever talk about that? No, never. Have you ever been instructed or were you ever instructed or, you know, told to destroy paperwork like that? Never. Okay. Uh, Doug Sages, who was the chief financial officer for Titan sports is a big part of this. Do you recall any interaction with Doug? Like I had 
Yeah, I had a lot of interaction with Doug over the years. Kind of tell everybody some of your memories of working with him or what his relationship was like with Vince or in the office or whatever. The boys called Doug Chainsaw Sages because Hercules Hernandez was having some financial difficulty and met with Doug one day to help him out of his financial situation. And Doug said, let me see all your credit cards. And Herc took all of his credit cards out of his wallet and gave them to Doug. And Doug took out a pair of scissors and cut them all up in front of him. Wow. And so Hercules affectionately referred to Doug as Chainsaw Sages. And that's what we all called him from that point forward. But Doug was, a, you know, he was a CFO. He was a, I don't think he was, we had that title at the time. But yeah, he was a head financial guy. Well, it's pretty cool because uh, that leads in, you know, to how good he was at destroying records. Uh, old Chainsaw Sages here uh, goes out of his way to provide untraceable cash to McMahon, and that comes out. Uh, he was ordered uh, to get bank checks that wouldn't be tied to him or tied to Titan, and that's what he would use to buy the drugs from Zahorian. Um, and all of that comes out through Emily Feinberg's testimony. So Emily Feinberg uh, is the assistant to Vince, and she is, is, I don't know, maybe the whistleblower in this whole deal. Uh, I don't know what exactly her axe to grind is, but she leaves in the fall of 91. Apparently her husband works there too, and uh, she gets a severance for an entire year. And then as soon as that year is up and her severance is done, how convenient, uh, she marches over to the FBI and becomes an informant and starts to uh, spill her guts, so to speak. Do you have anything you want to contribute or offer about Emily? No, not really. I, I mean, but it's not unusual for people to get your severance. So, but so that was common there. Vince would... Yeah. Okay. For someone in that position, sure. She, uh, I don't know if she's... Uh, some of her stuff is really uh, amazing to me. She testifies that... She heard Vince using uh, slang for steroids and learned about steroids for the first time working for Vince. And he used code words like gas or juice and referred to needles as rigs uh, and said that Patterson used the same uh, sort of uh, terminology. And she says that in June of 88, Vince called her and asked her to send a check to Zahorian, but to make sure it wasn't a company check. Uh, and then she says or she testified that she went to Benny uh, who I guess was an accountant, and uh, that guy provided her with untraceable checks. She also testified that McMahon wanted her to buy a small refrigerator to, quote-unquote, store cold sodas, and then one day she found vials in there. Um, she also testified that she found a vial of steroids uh, in some ski equipment, and she turned that over to the FBI. It was found to have DECA in it. Uh, and then she tells a specific story about delivering steroids that were delivered by FedEx. A shipment arrived from Zahorian. Uh, Vince dumped the package on his desk, separated some of them, uh, and asked to get the driver to deliver them to Hogan somewhere in New York, whatever building. Uh, and she said that, you know, Hogan did go ahead and get those steroids. Uh, and then it happened again when they were filming No Holds Barred in Atlanta in 88 i found it interesting too that somewhere in here uh it came out that Zeus got steroids delivered in 88 as well do you remember this being a common thing 
that uh, guys were getting stuff by FedEx or well, first of all, you know, you, you got to understand that it's like, was it a common thing? How the hell would I know? First of all, and the guys, you know, if they, if they were getting FedExes to their homes, who's going to know other than them and the doctor that's sending the stuff to them as far as what Vince did, you know, um, obviously it's, it's there in the court case as far as what he did and that he had some things that were delivered to Titan Towers. And, um, you know, it was what it was. Actually, we weren't even in Titan Tower at the time. We were over at 1055 Summer Street. But, um, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned a story about the small refrigerator in Vince's office. Um, that thing was there in 1987 when I first started, <laughs> long before... Um, that secretary was, was even Vince's secretary. So, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, people will say, well, Bruce, now you're twisting this and you're giving another version of the story. No, I'm not. It's funny how people make things their own. And I'm just giving you what I know and what, what I do know was and wasn't. And, um, Vince always had a (laughs) refrigerator in his office um, but that, some of that stuff is just funny to me. Well, but as far as Pat Patterson using that terminology, I've never in my life heard Pat Patterson use any of that terminology ever. But that's me. Um, talking about uh, Feinberg, some interesting stuff comes out that I found hilarious. Her notes actually become a pretty big part of the case. Uh, <laughs> I guess she's trying to be a good executive assistant. And in in March of 89, uh, on the 20th, she writes down, get Hulk stuff, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Uh, April 10th, 1989, there's an entry that just says Riggs, R-I-G-G-S, and I don't think they're talking about Scotty. Uh, April 11th, the next day, call Hulk Riggs. Um... April, I'm sorry, October 11th, 1989, Zahorian, one and a half inch rigs, DECA, four bottles, HCG, personal. Um, kind of a crazy deal here. January 25th of 1989, uh, she had an entry, check FedEx, comma, Royce. <laughs> I don't know why, but man, that just tickled me. Um, because that was supposedly when Vince told her, Hey, go check all the FedEx records for any Zahorian Titans transactions so he would at least be abreast of the situation. But it's just on her to-do list. <laughs> FedEx, comma, roids. Is this... Right, and but, but also at the same time, when were those records provided to the government? Oh, there and, you go. Okay. And again, it's, it's like... Okay, is this something that she actually did while she was working there, or is it something that was created with the government narrative in mind and saying, "Hey, well, such as you remember this? Could would you have written this down in your diary?" You know, the way that the prosecutor questioned people in the interviews and the things that they did were underhanded as hell. So. For anyone to make the comment of that that may be her diary and that may be what she may have written after her severance ran out and the government came to her with whatever deal the government came to her with, 
I don't know that. I don't know whether she did or she didn't. I have no idea. But it's awful convenient that it matches up to you know what the government had and what, what they did. Because, again, I know how they questioned me. I know how they, they okay. went after different things that were just, you know, it was almost as if um, they got all of their information from dirt sheets and Phil Mushnick, but. So let me ask, I want to talk about when they questioned you, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, what's, what's Emily Feinberg's end game here? Do you think she got a payday from the government? I mean, it seems really weird that you would go and then push forth all this information after such a long employment and her husband working there. Um, did she try to shake down Vince for money or did, did WW did, did the government offer something were they really on a witch hunt and saw that, you know, she was, she could be compromised. Why her? I have no idea, uh, you know, if they did or, or what they did, but it was awful convenient is pretty much all I got to say about that. It's, it, it's for a year, they have nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, look what I found. So there, there were several instances like that. And the government did approach people with what dirt do you have on Vincent McMahon? Was she uh, was she public enemy number one at the office for a little while when all this comes out? I mean, amongst all the boys, they have to feel like, you know, I don't know her, but they have to feel like, man, this bitch is messing with our money. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, everybody that everybody that testified against the company was messing with their money. Um, everyone that that you know made up the stories that they made up in in a lot of ways. I mean, you look you look at some of the testimony in uh, nails, gonna, yeah, talking about how much he hates Vince McMahon. I hate his guts. Um, you know, he loses credibility when he explodes on the witness stand. Let's talk about that. This talks, is a- talks about you know hating people. It it, it it's not their people, their witnesses that they had. I mean, think about the credibility of their entire case when after they present everything they've got, that Jerry McDivitt and Laura Brevetti say, the defense rests, doesn't call one witness. Doesn't call one witness. They rested. The government proved Titan's case for them. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the nails thing. Cause, but first we need to talk about Rick rude. Uh, rude takes the stand at some point. We're getting kind of things out of order here, but we'll get it all in. Uh, rude says McMahon commented to him in a TV taping that he didn't look good. 
Uh, and apparently, uh, he told him that he was trying to start a family, so he wasn't on anything. And Vince told him he needed to push himself. And Rude says he understood that to mean that he should be taking something. So the prosecutor asks, you mean steroids? And Rude says, yes. Well, then Nails takes the stand not too long after and says that uh, in January of 92, he met with McMahon alone in a camper trailer. Uh, this is seven years after being uh, not hired by Vince McMahon. So now January 92, they meet and they're talking about his convict gimmick. He says JJ and Pat are uh, in the room with him. Uh, and he says McMahon told him he needed to be as big as he could. Nails testifies that he was uh, already 300 pounds, but Vince thought he needed to be a lot bigger. Uh, he said, quote, I needed to get on the gas. I told him I would not get on steroids to get the job. He said he told me, quote, sometimes life isn't fair. The ball's in your court. Do what you have to do. Uh, I found this hilarious because McDevitt cross-examines Nails and asks him to describe his wrestling outfit. And if you're a wrestling fan, you know where this is going. Jerry asks, did it reveal your musculature? And he says, yes, it did. Of course it didn't. And uh, Nails says he was hired, but he did not take steroids while he was there and that he had a civil suit against Vince still pending. And this is the funniest part in the whole steroid trial to me. He asked Nails, isn't it a fact you have personal animosity against Vince McMahon? And Nails says, no. Uh, Laura continues, do you hate Vince McMahon? And Nails says, yes. So he doesn't have personal animosity, but he does hate him. So smart of Laura to recognize old Nails doesn't really know what animosity means. I think that's a pretty good assumption. So uh, let's talk about, um, you mentioned a minute ago, you... Uh, were interrogated, uh, questioned, whatever words you want to use, kind of describe, you know, how that comes about, how you find out you're going to have to be deposed and what that looks like from your perspective. It wasn't deposed. Uh, they, they being the federal government requested it and Vince wanted to cooperate with the government's investigation. So Vince offered, <laughs> Is it anybody that, that we have here that you want to talk to? We'll make them available to you to interview. We'll make them available for grand jury questioning. And the government took them up on it. And what that entailed was that we submitted to a government interview prior to grand jury testimony. So they gave the government an opportunity to interview all of us ahead of time to ask us whatever questions that they wanted to ask us. And then they could essentially pick and choose who they wanted to put in front of the grand jury and at what questions they wanted to ask in front of the grand jury. Highly unusual, but that was the kind of cooperation that, that we were trying to give them to just show that, hey, we have nothing to hide. Here are our people. Talk to them. And... You know, let, let's get this stuff over with and, and get your silly investigation over with. The, the interview process was tantamount to – you ever see Dateline or, or one of those uh, news shows where they show the guy in the police headquarters and you get, you know, two or three police detectives that are grilling them with questions? Yep. You know, where were you at 12 o'clock? Where were you at 12.15? What were you doing at 12.30? 
Well, imagine a room of eight of those people just throwing these wild questions at you that have that are that are simply based as i say in rumor and innuendo nothing based on fact nothing based on evidence nothing other than well have you ever heard this and did you ever hear this how about this guy did he ever say that about him it was insane the picture that they had of me on my file was a brother love trading card. I love this story. So, you know, we're sitting there, man, and, and you got the prosecutor sitting directly across from me. I had a uh, representation with me. They had an FBI investigator. They had uh, the assistant DA. They had all these people just asking me some of the most ridiculous questions I've ever heard in my life. And they said, well, did you hear this rumor about this person? Like, yeah. Well, why didn't you report that to Vince McMahon? Because my job was a producer and a talent, and I never witnessed any of the things that were said about that person. What? Uh, I had nothing. I had nothing to report other than, hey, so-and-so said – if." It, there was nothing to report other than rumor and bullshit. Give me an example of something silly and over the top absurd they asked you about. I, it was just it was just rumors about people. No, it, about it yourself. Was, if you don't want to out anybody else, and you know, as I know, you hate rumors and innuendo, but you can. You oh, can, they 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 asked me crazy questions about you know things that. That uh, I had quite the reputation back in the day. Um, you know, I, I smoked a lot of pot. I took a lot of pills. Um, I partied harder than anybody, as hard or harder than anybody. So, yeah, I, I, I partied. And, and they asked me a lot of those questions about some of my partying habits and, and what have you. And, well, people say that, you know, um, you did all kinds of drugs. You know, the only thing I didn't do a lot of was cocaine. Didn't like it, but that's not illegal to use drugs. Okay. It's illegal to possess them and it's illegal to sell them, but using them, <laughs> I love you for that. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. Uh, I never sold drugs, man. I never did any of that, but I took my share. I used my share. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and throw stones. I, I, I did all that stuff, but arrest me for smoking pot. Arrest me for taking a few more painkillers than I probably should have. So, but I, you know, this is ridiculous. The, the amount of time that they wasted on, on the witch hunt stuff. You ever see Vince McMahon take steroids? No. You ever see anybody else take steroids? No. Well, didn't you see? No. I didn't. Did I ever see anybody walking around a dressing room with a needle stuck in their ass? No. Um, they didn't like those answers. Let's talk about Chainsaw Sages again. Uh, <laughs> Sages is called to the stand. He testifies that McMahon told him to get money 
for steroids in a quiet way. In front of the grand jury, he used the word untraceable, but said that was his wording, not Vince's. Um, he said he told Vince a bank check is harder to trace than a personal check and makes the transaction unrelated to your name. He testified there were three transactions, uh, May of 88, June of 88 and October of 89. Uh, and then the prosecutor asked McMahon told you he wanted to buy steroids for himself and Hulk Hogan and old chainsaw sages says yes. And substance the checks, which, and this just fascinates me, the checks that they nailed them on were for $1,180 and $650. And now Vince McMahon has spent $6 million in essence defending 1800 bucks worth of checks. Any comment? No. And, and again, I, I go back to the, the simple fact that steroids weren't illegal at that time. The act had not passed. Um, I've gone to doctors here that have pharmacies that when you go in and you see the doctor and you walk out and you write a check for your medication before you leave the door, it saves you a trip to the pharmacy. And, and again, I'm not defending anything they do guys. I'm just simply stating that until you walked in their shoes and you walked in my shoes, their shoes, who's ever, it's, it's, it's tough to judge. And for the guys that were on the road all the time that are living on the road 30, 60 days straight, they don't have a family physician that, that when they go home off the road, they don't have a family physician that they can go see. The last thing they want to do when they get home is go out and see anybody. So you have a physician that says, hey, man, I'll send you a FedEx on the road. You're going to gobble that up. Yeah. Sorry. It's human nature. It's, it's ease. And so for the guys that did that, I, I don't, I don't understand the big deal. I really and truly don't. It's if, if you want to go after him, go after the doctor. They went after the doctor. They got him. He was a bad guy. But when a doctor tells you, well, Hey, this will help you. And I'm going to prescribe this for you. And I've got a pharmacy over here. I've got the stuff. I can go ahead and sell it to you now. Now I don't have to go to a pharmacy. I don't have to wait. I've got it. It's all there. <sighs> really and truly. I'm, I, I have me personally, I have a hard time understanding the, the wrongdoing in that if, if the doctor operated immorally or, or his, uh, hypocritical oath. Um, <laughs> when, did, when did you first, you know, when did you first meet Zahorian? Dude, I, I probably met him in Hershey it was the only time I think I ever saw him in 87 when he first started. Um, I guess uh, if I would have met him, I probably would have met him around that time. Consider I don't remember the guy. I, I can tell you, I don't think I ever had a conversation with the man in my life. So I'm not saying this to be funny. You just a minute ago said you had a reputation for being a partier and taking a lot of drugs. Yeah. You never bought any drugs from Zahorian? No, never. Did you, did anybody try to smarten you up and say, well, Bruce likes to party. Hey man, this guy will hook you up. Nobody told you that either. You that just, might have been said to me, yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. 
Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Zorian a little Trust bit. Me, there were plenty of places and plenty of opportunities to get drugs, to get pretty much anything you wanted out on the road. You just had to know where to look. Well, you found and all that the good comes spots, back to I'm the sure. human being that's that's doing it, their own personal responsibility. So let's talk about Zahorian's testimony. Uh, he said in 85, uh, Patterson asked him if he was distributing cocaine or heroin to wrestlers, uh, he t- which I think is hilarious. Uh, but he told Pat he was only giving them steroids, Valium, and Tylenol 3 and 4. Uh, he said that he talked to Zahorian, says he talked to McMahon and Hershey in early 88, and he was summoned by Pat to the arena, and McMahon wanted to see him. McMahon asked if he was giving the wrestler steroids. I said I was, but I was better. Uh, it was better that they got pharmaceutical grade steroids than black market drugs from people they didn't know. I told him if he wanted me to stop, I would, but the wrestlers might end up getting tainted drugs and they could get sick and die. He said, "Okay, don't stop what you're doing." I felt like that was some pretty damning testimony by Zahorian. Um, did you feel like that was kind of? Uh, I don't know, Barry and, Z- Barry and Vince for Zahorian to testify that? Well, if that actually happened or not. Again, you're, you're talking about a convicted felon on the stand. I'm not saying testifying. that. I'm, I'm so not... I don't know if that ever happened, but I got. I will say this, listening to that now, makes sense to me. Yeah, no. I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you rather get your stuff from a doctor? Yeah. And someone, you know, from a pharmacy where you know that it's the real stuff and you're not getting it from some guy in a gym in the back, of, you know, the locker room with a black bag going, hey, I got this good stuff. There are no labels, but it's really this is the real stuff. So uh, Zahorian testifies that another time McMahon asked him to send him a cycle of anabolic steroids to his office in care of Emily Feinberg. He said he had four or five conversations with Feinberg related to McMahon's personal steroids, and he did not have a legitimate doctor-patient relationship with McMahon. He said Feinberg would tell him that uh, she wanted a certain amount of medicine and mention either Mr. Balea or Mr. McMahon, and here's where he's quoted. With her calls, amounts varied. Orders placed could have been seven or eight cycles sent to Titan Sports, Cycles could last six weeks or three months, depending on how much the individual was taking. Uh, so he is really just naming the two big names here. Did you ever have any sort of conversation with anybody about, hey, Bruce, you're going on the road this weekend. Give this package to Hulk. No, no. And again, you know, as you listen to what you just said what was testified to where in there does it say that you know vince ordered these steroids you're you're now saying that the the secretary ordered the steroids to the doctor and the doctor sent them to the secretary per the testimony so again it's it's a witch hunt it's it's right okay well and and look hey vince took steroids he's admitted it we all know that. Um, I think that, especially at the time when you you got John Gotti doing everything he's doing and the different things going on in the world, going after some athletes who are taking steroids, not in a competitive environment, as far as it's entertainment, guys. When 
Sylvester Stallone or uh, these other Hollywood legends, you know, go and get into great shape. Are you going to seriously look at me with a straight face and tell me, well, they're really just genetic freaks and it's all diet and exercise? So I, I, I guess, you know, it, it's... I well, look but, at it. But at the same time, um, let, I mean, you got to admit this. And I love Pat Patterson. He has been nothing but nice to me when I've met him through Rick and great guy. But if he is having conversations with a doctor and he says, call me back from a payphone and call this number. And then he gets him and says, hey, Vince told all the boys to start carrying prescriptions for their steroids at all times. And I need you to destroy all your records of ever working with us. That doesn't seem a little That's okay, but but did Pat testify to that? Did Pat testify to saying that? Uh, I don't recall. There you go. Let's run through some what some of the testimony of the boys were. That's a great good transition. Uh Moondog was questioned in this and uh he admitted that he was buying steroids back when Vince was just a ring announcer, uh before Vince even had control of the company. And then I, I don't know why, but I found this hilarious. In court, they debated whether or not he lost his demolition gimmick because he wasn't on steroids. I think that shows just how silly this is. Uh, he lost it, based on my memory, because guys were chanting Moondog at him, you know, in the crowd. So Correct, yeah. Uh, Tom Zink, who have often wondered, man, why didn't he have a longer run in the WWF? Well, in my research, I found out Zink testified and admitted that he was taking steroids long before the WWF and had his own doctor in Minnesota. He does uh, mention that uh, a high school had complained about needles being left behind after a WWF show, which I found to be just ridiculous. How is that possible that nobody's cleaning up after that? Uh, But he goes on to admit that he told Linda in 87 he wasn't happy with the money he was making and walked out on a contract and then got a gig from All Japan. Uh, This surprised me. Linda then wanted a piece of his income as a return on their investment from putting him on TV and marketing him. Before I continue, do you think that's fair for him not to be happy with the money he's being paid? He walks out, gets another gig, and then Linda asks for a piece of that new contract. Do you think that's fair of Linda? If he breaks his contract with them, yes. So then he, sure is. So then he threatened to call the New York Times and tattle, uh, fair or not fair? Tattle on what? Well, apparently he knew that people were doing steroids, and so did Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard testified in this, and that was also a shock to me. He talks about having a meeting with McMahon at McMahon's pool while he was still with the NWA. So here's a question. You've been around that pool 14 million times. Were you there when Tully was there? No. The first time? Okay. No. He, he said the drug testing policy was discussed at that meeting, and McMahon said cocaine was not acceptable, but steroids and other stuff were okay. I assume other I stuff. I can tell you that, that I've been in I don't know how many meetings with talent. And I've never one time in my life ever heard Vince McMahon say that steroids were okay. This is even back when uh, I'll, I'll go way back, you know, before when they were legal. And never, ever heard Vince tell guys you need to get on steroids or you need to do this or you need to do that as far as steroids go. He's told guys to get in shape. He's told guys to work out more. He's told them that but i've never ever ever heard him tell anybody contrary i have heard him tell guys hey if you're on something get off of it you don't need it 
Well, you know, I, I wasn't implying that right there, uh, steroids were illegal because Tully would have had this conversation in 88. So this yeah, is and prior Tully was to a hell of a, that body there, boy, by God, that's a steroid body. If I ever heard one or saw one. So he does say upon arriving in the WWF, uh, he met Zahorian Zahorian holds up a white box, shakes it and tells him he can have whatever he wanted and that he already knew about Zahorian's reputation long before joining the Federation. But he also admits in his testimony that the steroid situation is pretty much the exact same in the NWA. Uh, one of the next guys that takes the stand is the Ultimate Warrior, Jim Helwig. He was a really big deal at the time, of course. This is 1994. He's on the outs with the company, but still had been one of their very top guys. Uh, he goes on to estimate that 85 to 90% of the roster was on steroids while he was there. Do you think that's a high estimate or do you think that to be fair? You know, again, you only know what you know, but let's see. Dusty wasn't on I wouldn't on be him. shocked. Akeem yeah, wasn't I, I wasn't. Yeah. Dusty wasn't. Akeem wasn't. Big yeah. Boss Man wasn't. Right. Bundy wasn't. We're getting again, some. You only know what you know. Right. Uh, so he talks about a typical visit with Zahorian, and everybody who testifies kind of runs through this. And I was curious about this. They all say the exact same thing. So, so again, but I'm going to go. I want to point something out. This is the credibility of a guy that got fired for snorting cocaine, right? Are we talking about Hulk? I mean, the Tully. Ultimate Warrior? No, I'm t- we're talking about Tully. Oh, no, no. We're back on oh, the Warrior I thought you were now. still talking about Tully. Okay. So, uh, Helwig says he'd take your blood pressure, check your eyes and ears, ask how you were doing, and then ask if there was anything you needed. Uh, he also says that once upon a time, McMahon asked about HGH. Helwig said... He asked me one time if I could get HGH. It's a hormone, either synthetic or taken from cadavers from the pituitary gland. And then, and this was fascinating to me, and I, I wonder if you're going to dodge this or give me a real answer. Warrior, I'm gonna, what if I dodge? A lot of shit. Uh, Warrior no, talked about an incident in February 91 at the Capitol Center at the Marriott where he got in trouble for leaving steroids in his hotel room. He says he got a call at home in Dallas when McMahon... Uh, was on the other line, and he said there was a syringe and a vial that were found by the maid. Helwig said at first it was someone else, and they must have left it in his room, but then he eventually admitted that it was his. Uh, McMahon had said things had heated up in regards to Zahorian, and that I should be careful, even though in my mind and other wrestlers' minds, we didn't think they were illegal at the time. Uh, Helwig has admitted and said right then, McMahon never told him to not take steroids, which I found interesting. He didn't say that Vince told him to say, take steroids. He just said he didn't tell me not to. Uh, and that was February 91. So that's less than a year after, you know, steroids become illegal. But there were some issues with him, and this is referenced many times throughout the trial, that Vince knew that one of his guys, his champion at the time, uh, had steroids like there in the room that a maid found do you remember that was there any heat on him for that do i you... don't i really don't remember that though i know you wouldn't give me a good answer i'm on sorry that. i know you want me to make something up well let, listen I, I don't remember that I, you, I really and truly don't while you're playing dodgeball uh let me ask you about something old chainsaw sages says uh he talks about the peak of the financial you know years for wwf when he was there uh, kind of running the books from 85 to 89. And he says the highest net income before taxes in one year was $6 million. I thought that was really, really low. Is that accurate? At that time, probably, yeah. 
I mean, in my head, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, surely there was more profit than 6 million. But he, I guess Vince just ran really high expenses at the time. No, we were, yeah. I mean, those were investment years. Yeah. So that that's probably about right. Okay. So then it's time for the main event. Uh, they bring Hulk Hogan to the uh, stand again. And uh, this time he admits to a whole host of stuff. And uh, the prosecutor gets very, very specific. Uh, he asked, did McMahon order steroids from Zahorian? Hogan says, yes, we discussed ordering steroids together in Atlanta. He asked, were steroids new to him, meaning Vince? Hogan says, as uh, far as subject matter, he knew what they were. The prosecutor continues, did you ask Emily Feinberg to order steroids for you? Hogan says, I'd call Feinberg and ask her to place orders for drugs from Zahorian. How many times? Ten or less is the answer. How would you get them? I, I, I just think this is so interesting, the answer. Hogan says... I'd go by the office with my normal routine. I'd pick up my paycheck, my pictures, and my fan mail. Uh, the prosecutor says, and one of those things you picked up was steroids? Yes, sir. I don't know why, but I found that fascinating that he's going by, picking up his fan mail about saying your prayers and eating your vitamins, picking up his pictures, picking up his paycheck, picking up his steroids. Any of that humorous to you, or is that just me? That's probably just you. Okay. Uh, he does talk about trading, uh, you know, they're very caught up on who's paying for the steroids is Vince paying for them. Is he paying for them? Uh, and he's talking about, he gives examples and he actually compares it to a pack of cigarettes. You know, he would give Vince 10 vials. Vince would give him 10 vials. It was like borrowing a pack of cigarettes. You just pay it back. Um, and then they, uh, they get to the heavy lifting. You have no recollection of conversations on steroids with McMahon or Zahorian in a room. Hogan, no, not in a room. Question again. McMahon never ordered you to take steroids. Hogan, he never ordered or directed me to take steroids. Did you ever see McMahon tell a wrestler to take steroids? Hogan says no. It continues. Before this trial, did you give statements to the press that weren't true? Hogan, yes. Prosecutor on Arsenio Hall. Hogan, yes. Is it fair to say you did not give your full history of steroid use? Very true. And this I found interesting. Did McMahon give you advice? And Hogan says, yes, he gave me advice. He didn't think I should go on the show because it was the wrong format. Were you there when the Arsenio Hall interview happened? And do you remember there being a discussion? Because that's right in the middle of the Zahorian mess as to, hey, man, this is not a good call. We don't need him to do this. Do you remember that at all? To, to the best of my recollection, I, I recall making the suggestion, you know, there, it was like no good can come from it. Right. But at the same time, if he's going to ask you, be honest. Just, you know what? And it's been something that I preach. I, I go back to, you know, Roger Clemens. Hey, we can use Ryan Lochte now. When you screw up. Just come out. The the American public is gonna forgive you and they'll embrace you. They want to help you, man. They want they want to bring you back from the brink. But when you lie to them, that's a different story. And you know, my rele my recollection was simply, you know what? If you're gonna do it, just go on and tell the truth. Get it over with. Move on. Uh, John Studd. 
uh, actually can't appear in person. He's another wrestler though, who testifies, he testifies by phone and says that he did take steroids, but they were always his personal choice. And then the closing arguments come down, uh, from both sides. And, um, the prosecution says something like, uh, we didn't say be like Hulk Hogan, take his vitamins all the while they were pumping him with steroids. They're big, rich, powerful. They're drug dealers. Just because they're rich doesn't give them a free pass. The defendant told Emily Feinberg to distribute steroids to Hulk Hogan. He was involved in the memo. He ordered sages to launder money. He ordered Feinberg to destroy evidence. And of course, your favorite attorney and mine, Mr. Jerry McDevitt, says, if Randy Colley had such a grudge against Vince McMahon, why didn't he say McMahon told him to take steroids? If you're going to lie, why not big? Why not the big lie? Why didn't Tom Zink lie and say McMahon told him to take steroids? Because they were telling the truth. If I wanted to get McMahon, why didn't I pull Zahorian aside and tell him we want McMahon to tell us on record he told you to distribute steroids to wrestlers? If we set up Zahorian... Did we write this memo? If we wanted a frame, we sure did a horrible job. When McMahon scolded Helwig for leaving steroids in his hotel room, he was only too happy his champion was using steroids. What he was in a tirade about was that he got caught. They say Hulk Hogan was our star witness. They said that, yet we have to immunize him to get the truth out of him. He testified he got steroids ten times for Vince. So it, it becomes... Sort of, kind of a witch hunt in the end, whether they wanted to admit that it started that way or not. And that is it was always a witch hunt. So here's the, here's the other thing, you know, obviously, uh, we're going to get to the verdict in a minute, but before that great sense of relief washes all over us, there is this big rumor online that we've heard about for a long time. And I can't wait for you to shit on it because I know you don't like him. So let's get into it. There's talk that Vince started to make a contingency plan that if he was to be found guilty, not that he wanted to be or thought that he would be, but he was fighting for his life. If he had to go away, he needed somebody to hold the fort down. And the rumors and innuendo would lead us to believe that that person was Mr. Jerry Jarrett. So I want you to kind of talk about what's true, what's not true and what Jerry's involvement was at the time. Jerry was a consultant at the time, um, consulting us uh, with TV and consulting, um, you know, to be really blunt, I, I couldn't tell you what he was consulting on because it was mostly gibberish. But that's what he was there for, was to to consult and give us another head, different way of looking at things. Whose idea but, was it to, to bring him in as a consultant? I believe it was J.J. Dillon and uh, Vince's idea. I think it was J.J.'s original, you know, hey, what about this guy? So do you think that... But I don't know that because he was there when I came back, so... Do you think that uh, Vince had a lot of respect for what Jerry did in Memphis, or he just knew that uh, he Vince didn't know Jerry Jarrett, you know, and, and that was part of bringing Jerry in was to see if this guy knows anything, see if there's anything there. And after being exposed to Jerry Jarrett, I guess you could say that Jerry Jarrett was exposed. So let's talk about that. Uh, why do you think the internet likes to, um, yeah, I know people hate when I call it the internet. 
why do you think the common theory is that he was there to kind of take the helm because Jarrett, Jarrett timing. And I'm sure Jerry Jarrett probably told people that and he writes it in his book. And he but talks, I'm, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a little statement here. Okay. And this is a fact. Jerry Jarrett is a liar. Okay. If Jerry's mouth is moving, he's lying nine times out of 10. Um, do you think that Jerry was a good booker? And no, I don't. I think that Jerry surrounded himself with great bookers and Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and was blessed with, uh, with some good bookers and some good idea guys back in the day. When you worked with Jerry, uh, for, for Vince, do you remember him contributing any good ideas? Not one. Do you remember it was one of the most painful things I've ever endured in my life? Having to work with that person. Why though? I mean, because you're not, you're not he's an idiot. Much. Huh? G- give me an example. Why is he? How is he an idiot? Why is he an idiot? Uh, you know, I, I think that he lived in his small world there in the in the Tennessee area. I live in I live in Alabama. Successful. Watch your mouth. You live in Alabama. Calm you, down. You do. Okay, but he he lived in in his little fiefdom where no one challenged him, and that he was able to create this aura of genius and this mastermind and this wonderful businessman. You take him out of Hendersonville, Tennessee, and it all just goes back to Kentucky and Tennessee, and he can't get beyond that. Now, I'm a southerner. I'm from Texas. Uh, it sounds like yeah. you're shitting on the South a little bit right there. No, I'm not, no, I'm not shitting on the South. I'm sitting on, I'm shitting on the myth of Jerry Jarrett being a genius. Um, because I never saw it. I never, I never heard one good idea. I never heard, uh, anything that would work in the year 1990 and beyond. Hell, I didn't even hear anything that would have worked in the eighties. Um, so it was simply, you know, no different than everybody else that we brought in. Let's try them out. Let's see what they got. And it just didn't work. Would he it have did not work? Would he have been there at the time you were getting a pay cut? Uh, boo. No, I don't think so. I think he was already gone by then. So, okay. So by the time he was gone before the trial was over, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know the exact timing of it, but, uh, I believe he was already gone. Yeah. He had to go home. Do you remember, uh, how that relationship ended? How Jerry left New York? Yeah, he went home. I mean, he, he couldn't take it anymore. He was, he was homesick. Um, he had a, you know, he had two teenage kids. So he wasn't, he he wasn't ran off. He, he wanted to leave. He wanted to leave. Yeah. He wanted to go home. He, again, he's got, he had young kids. I say young kids. They were teenagers. Right. And a wife in Tennessee. He had never, ever been away from home. And it was a completely different world. Um, 
Can you give us a fun Jerry Jarrett story? I mean, you obviously have some that there you're keeping There was never yourself. any fun with Jerry Jarrett. It was, it well, was like... Well, come on. You're good it at... It was like getting kicked in the nuts 24 hours a day. Do you realize that we have been talking for more than an hour now, and you have yet to break out one impression? When are we ever going to talk about Jerry Jarrett again? <laughs> Tell us, t- if you're uh, Jerry Jarrett, and let's just say you guys are sitting by the pool... And you're at Vince's house and you're trying to do some booking and his personal chef is there and he's going to prepare lunch for you guys. And maybe he's going to have chicken salad and he wants a chicken salad sandwich for lunch. Give us some, you know, Jerry had a, Jerry had a habit and you, you know, these people, you you know, well, I I was at, well, you know, there, there was that time. Hey, well, you know, it, it, it isn't about time for lunch. Hey, could you make, you know, like some, some, you know, uh, well, you know, some, uh, chicken salad, you know, you get the chicken, you know, and then you get the walnuts, you know, and you, and you know, you know, you chop them up and then maybe some grapes and then a little, you, you know, some mayonnaise and mix it up. Maybe some chicken salad, you know, you know, you know, maybe that'd be good, you know? Well, let's... God, I tell you what, man, after about the 40th, you know, and I would look at him. I go, no, you know, I don't know. I don't. So no, stop asking me if I know. I don't. Yeah, it was frustrating. It was, it was frustrating. I, I didn't have uh, a good experience uh, in any way, shape or form with him. Jeff, I like. Um, you know, I like Jeff a lot. Got a lot of respect for Jeff. Um, we've, we've had our ups and downs, but you know, I like his son, but, uh, don't care for Jerry Jarrett in any way, shape or form. Um, were you ever in a car with him and frustrated? Well, maybe, yeah, I sure have been. Maybe Pat was in the car or Vince was in the car. Uh-huh. You know, see, I tell you things and you bring it up on the air. Well, we don't, we don't just, have to talk about well, it. The, the, I'll, I'll tell you, no, everybody's going now. What, what's the story? <laughs> the, the, story the story is, is that we were, we were in a car and we were on our way to, uh, believe the garden. And this is back when cars had phones in them and we didn't have individual, uh, cell phones. And Vince wanted to know what the ratings were. And Jerry, since Vince was driving, Jerry was going to be the one to call. And Jerry calls and calls Vince's assistant at the time, Sylvia. And conversation from our end sounded kind of like, hello, uh-huh, yeah, well, it's Jerry. We're in the car. And, well, Vince, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, well, we were wondering if, if we got the ratings in yet. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. All right. Well, bye-bye. Hangs the phone up and there's just silence. <laughs> and everybody's looking at each other and Vince looks at Jerry and says, well, and Jerry looks at Vince, huh? The ratings, pal, damn it. The ratings. 
Oh, 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 they're not in yet. <laughs> it doesn't get so old. On, 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 another, on another car ride, since you got me started on those, we're, we're driving along, and this time Pat's driving. I'm in the front seat, and Vince and Jerry are in the back seat. And th- there were times when I would just entertain myself, and I started laughing, and Vince is in the back. What are you laughing at, pal? I said, nothing, nothing, I'm sorry. Just thought of something funny. Share it. No, no, it's okay. It's okay, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good. God damn it. What are you laughing at? I said, well, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, Pat and I are sitting up here in the front seat and, you know, we're, we're driving to New York City and in the back seat are probably the two most hated motherfuckers this business has ever known, meaning Vince McMahon and Jerry Jarrett. Well, Vince just thought that was the funniest damn thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> Damn you, Bruce. Ah, you son of a bitch. And Jerry was like, huh? Well, I, I don't know of anyone that doesn't like me. And I turned around and said, well, Jerry, just give me a roster sheet of anybody that's worked in Memphis over the last 25 years, and we can start there. He just had a very false, warped sense of himself. I love that impression. Uh, we, we may not ever talk about um, Jerry Jarrett again on the show. No, we won't. You're it, right. Is there anything else you want to address? Any any sort of other personal grievances or dirty laundry you'd like to air? <laughs> no, you know it, it's 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 just you hear these things and people talk about it and it's accepted as fact. And that wasn't the fact. It it was simply Jerry was brought in as a consultant, pick Jerry's brain and see if there was anything there. It didn't take long to pick. And we found out there wasn't a whole lot there. So, you know, Vince tried, we tried. I, I really did try. I really and truly did because we needed help. And, but it just takes, it's a, it's a unique unique dynamic that you had to fit into and Jerry didn't fit into it. Well, let's, uh, let's fit into the end of this steroid trial. Um, everything's done. The jury is going to go ahead and deliberate and people are feeling pretty confident that, um, this was going to be not guilty, but it takes a while longer than they imagine. And people start to get a little nervous. Do you remember, when that's going on, where you are or what you're doing? I sure do. We were in, we were in the tower. Um, we didn't leave. And I was coming off the elevator on the fourth floor and heard Pat screaming and came around the corner and Liz DeFabio and Pat Patterson were in the hallway and screaming, not guilty, not guilty. And, uh, Three of us cried there and, um, walked in and we got the phone call and we took it in either mine or Pat's office. And Vince asked us to go and, uh, go pick Stephanie up. Stephanie was, was on a train coming in from Boston 
and he asked Pat and I to go pick her up at the train station and bring her to Long Island to celebrate the victory. And we uh, we went, we picked up the Mazzolas in Greenwich, and we um, went down to Long Island, and we had a celebration. Now I've got the I've got the picture uh, here in my office of the the, the verdict. <laughs> That night, it was a wild night. Let me tell you. Where did you go? One of the one of the one of the only times that I can remember being refused entry back into a uh, a bar establishment for being too inebriated. Wow. Um, what would Vince McMahon's drink of choice been that night? Doers on the rocks. What? Uh... Where does someone go to celebrate in Long Island in 1994? <laughs> the Marriott. <laughs> really? Yeah, we we were at the Marriott because that that was the kind of the company hotel, the base station for the trial. I see. And so everybody was there, and no one needed to be driving anywhere uh, after the fact. But so we had, we had cars, but it was uh, it was a wild night. It was a, it was, a, it was a lot of weight off of our shoulders. I tell you, it felt good, and and it was um, all the key. You know, Shane and Steph were both there, um, the whole team, and and it was it was a pretty cool night. So the verdict comes down just before four o'clock uh, when it's announced not guilty. Uh, O'Shea's jaw drops, and uh, the fans who were in the courtroom which i can't believe they were in there cheered loudly the judge gets pissed off orders everyone who was uh, cheering to leave the courtroom vince holds a press conference right after and it's all behind them uh do you remember when you when your pay cut happened and when you got it back because it's not like that night as he's toasting you with doors all of his bills went away for no, the lawsuit. No, it, it, it took a little while. It took a little while. Once business started to turn around, we, you know, he corrected all of that, and, and we got back to uh, to where we were and beyond. So it was all good. He made up for it after the fact. Uh, when those pay cuts come down, uh, would that have been around the same time that J.J. Dillon takes a pay cut right after he bought a house and is jammed up, and then he still cares? No, I just bought a house, and I got mine, so... He wasn't alone. I'd bought my first house and I'd been in it less than a month. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, wasn't a fun time. I know, I know you're going to try to kayfabe it anyway. Give me a percentage. Half a cut? I mean, did you, make, did you get a half a cut? A <laughs> it hurt. A cut? Let, me, let me put it this way. It hurt. Okay. It hurt. I'm just going to let it be awkwardly silent until you give me some more information. Okay, this is not making for a good show, so I'll start talking <laughs> in the interest. See, the person that speaks first loses. Yeah, I know there a thing or two about sales, but I'm not trying to sell you on anything at this point except checking us out on Twitter, at Pritchard Show. Uh, uh, is there anything else you want to go go ahead and mention about the steroid trial? I feel like we've covered, you know, a lot of No, the- you know, we, we covered a lot of it. It was, it was a really tough and trying time, and it unfortunately – to me, left me with a message of the power of, of the federal government that they could use against anyone that they choose. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Um, 
and I know people have their views on Vince McMahon and the WWF, but there was nothing there. And it was a witch hunt. It was a crazy, crazy time. We all lived through it. And now it's a, you know, an interesting story to go back and revisit, but it was a different time, a different place. God, what are we going back? 20 years? More? Yeah, 22 yeah, 25? years. 25? Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. So times have changed and, you know, I don't know if our federal government has gotten any, any better in some of the things that they do, but it was, it was a crazy, crazy time, man. Do you remember any specific conversations with Vince that you can kind of share? I, I know Vince has a reputation for never let him see you sweat, you, you know, no sells everything, hates when you sneeze, hates when he sneezes, you know, hates weakness, never gets sick. There's, there is no sick stuff like that, but there has to be at some point, some sort of a real human. Holy shit, man. I mean, this, this is it, a lot. It was as simple as I remember at one point, the government offering a deal, plead guilty to this, 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 you don't do any time. You pay like a $10,000 fine and we move on. And he took a, you know, took a straw poll in the room. And I think everybody, everybody said, you know what, if it could be over today, let's just do it and get it over with. And he said, you know what? I didn't do it. And I'll be damned if I'm going to plead guilty to something I didn't do. So I'm not taking it. So that kind of gives you the, the kind of guy that he is. I mean, he, he was right. He knew he was right and wasn't going to be bullied into, um, into a plea. And I respect him for that. I don't know if I would have been able to do that, you know, even if I was right. I would have wanted to get it over with and move on, but it took a lot of balls. Well, it took a lot of balls for you to, uh, let me spout off all this stuff about your old friends and uh, maybe a, um, a touchy subject. And I appreciate you being such a good sport today. I'm only going to have to edit out about seven minutes of this. So, uh, be sure to uh, send your hate tweets to at Bruce Pritchard because you want to know what I had to delete. That ain't right. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.